Amen. Thank you to our choir, our quartet, who have been so faithful. Let me ask you this. How many of you all have seen the choir video that they just put out this week? Wasn't that fantastic? Let's give them, a, let's give them a, a, some thanks for that. That was wonderful. If you haven't seen it, whether you're with, with us in person or whether you're online with us, um, please go to our First Presbyterian Church Facebook page. You can see the video there as well as our app and, and several other avenues. It is absolutely wonderful. What a great way to celebrate not only what the Lord is doing through the life of our church, but the ways that he has empowered us for our highest and our best uh, as we continue to serve him. Well, as we continue to seek our highest and best in the ways that we serve our God, we continue to study the book of Philippians, and today we are continuing with chapter 3 of Philippians, beginning in the 12th verse, picking up where we left off last week, and we're going to read through the 21st verse. So if you would, turn to your bulletin where you'll see the scripture reading printed, or you can look at the screens, or you can just read along as I read aloud. So the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those, who, uh, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amidst the changing words of our generation, speak to us your eternal word that does not change. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Over the last couple of months, we have been studying the book of Philippians under the series title, Underdog Faith. And underdog faith is faith that no one expects from people that no one expects in circumstances that no one expects. An underdog takes those unexpected, usually daunting circumstances and turns them upside down. He has unexpected joy in the face of suffering, unexpected courage in the face of persecution, unexpected kindness in the face of great cruelty, unexpected patience in the face of great urgency, unexpected tenacity in the face of overwhelming odds, unexpected generosity in the face of poverty, and unexpected hope in the face of tragedy. 
You know, underdogs are those people who just won't quit. You know, think about movies like, like Rocky or Rudy. Think about real-life Olympians or soldiers or wounded veterans or frontline medical workers through this crisis. People battling cancer, mom and dads who are having to take their kids or having to keep their kids at home and teach them at home. These are the people who just won't quit, even there, though there are lots of people who think they should give up who, and can find all kinds of excuses to quit or to go home or to cash in. They don't give up. They don't just accept their lot in life. Underdogs stay in the, in the battle. And so I want you to repeat after me. Underdogs don't settle for less. Say that with me. Underdogs don't settle for less. Underdogs press on for the best. Underdogs press on for the best. You see, underdogs will endure pain, imprisonment, poverty, persecution, social consequences, all of those things, but they will not settle for less. They will not settle for less when it comes to a relationship with God personally. They will not settle for less when it comes to compassion and justice for other people. I mean, think about you. I'm not satisfied to see so many people out of work, hurting, broken, in pain during this crisis. And I'm not going to settle for misinformation that leads to unemployment and poverty and mental health crises and exploitation. Underdogs don't settle for less. Underdogs press on for the best. And so let's look at this passage today in that context. Underdogs don't settle for less. They press on for the best. But first of all, what is the best? Well, in the first part of this chapter that we read last week, the Apostle Paul says that in spite of his imprisonment, in spite of his hardship, there is nothing better in his life And there's nothing better for his life than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And last week, we used the analogy of marriage to illustrate how a relationship with Jesus Christ is not just the best relationship I can have. It makes everything in my life, even my other relationships, better. Now, I didn't say it makes everything easier, but it makes life better Because in that relationship, we learn the beauty of grace. We learn the importance of trust, and we grow through shared experiences. Paul says that his relationship with Christ is of surpassing worth, that there's nothing better or higher or more meaningful or fulfilling or important than that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. To Paul, the promise of abundant and eternal life that Jesus offers is better than anything or everything else. It is of surpassing worth, while everything else, he says, is rubbish. And Paul wants so much to be like Christ that he is even willing to share in the Lord's suffering as well as his victories if it means getting to know him better and being like him. He's saying, I want to ache with compassion as Christ aches with compassion and know, and I want to know the life and the joy and the victory and the peace that Jesus knows. You know, that would be the kind of relationship I would want to have with God. 
I want to have the kind of relationship with God that Jesus has. And I want to love my brothers and my sisters like Jesus does. I want to love my neighbors like the Savior does. Paul will later refer in this passage to, in the, to this relationship as what he calls the upward call of Christ. This relationship with Jesus is what he calls the upward call of Christ. Let me try and define that for a second. The upward call of Christ is God's highest and best for you. It is when God takes you, the unique you that he has made and that he has wired and that he has gifted and shaped and that he has positioned and he marshals that for his kingdom purposes and for his kingdom glory. It's when God takes the you that he made and puts it together with his purposes. That is the upward call of Christ. The upward call of Christ is that relationship that shapes all of our other relationships, purposes, agendas, priorities. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus is calling us to love and serve the Lord with all our, our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and our strength. And Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Jesus says that we are to love and serve our brothers and our sisters in Christ as he has loved us. And Paul says, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Christ says that we are to love and serve our neighborhoods, our neighborhoods and the nations as we love ourselves, shining as lights in the world, says the apostle Paul. The upward call of Christ is God's highest and best for you and for me and for his people, for his church. It's where he takes this wonderful collection of people that he has wired and positioned and gifted and puts those people, puts us together with his kingdom purposes for his kingdom and his glory. And it is the relationship, it is the call that redefines all of our other relationships, all of our relationships with other people, and even our relationships with creation. That is the upward call of Christ, and that is the best, the highest and best that God has for us. Now, why does Paul want that kind of relationship with Jesus? Because he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's saying, I want to have that kind of relationship with Jesus because the son of the living God wanted that kind of relationship with me and claimed me as his own. I just love the grace of this statement. You know, before I ever claimed God, God claimed me in Jesus Christ. He took the initiative. He loved me first. He's already made me his own by his creation. And then he made me his own through his, through his blood, shed for me on the cross. He not only made me, but he bought me. God built me and then he saved me. And now I want to make him my own as much as he had made me his own. That's what Paul's saying here. That's the best. But listen to what he also says. But here's the truth. I'm not there yet. We're not there yet. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. We all know that at least in some part of our lives, we're not living our highest and best 
of God's upward call in our lives, right? We can all admit that, can't we? We just all confessed our sin. That's why we do that, because we know that we're not all there yet. You know, Paul's even saying, I've not yet obtained the power and the bliss of his resurrection in its fullness. I'm still in my old, tired, beaten up, shipwrecked, beaten down, and broken body. And all that being said from a Roman prison. He says, we're not there yet, but I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep pushing forward for the best that God has for me. I'm going to press on. And the theological term for pressing on is the word perseverance. Everybody say perseverance. And at this point, the apostle gives us a great point of wisdom for that, for that moment in which he was living and for this moment in which we live. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And, if, any, and if, anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Perseverance requires maturity. Now, believe me, I could preach a whole sermon on this, especially after COVID. I could write a book about this. But here's the point. Underdogs need maturity so that when the pressure comes, they will not panic, but persevere in unexpected circumstances. If you think all the way back to chapter 1, Paul talked about those times when life and circumstances squeeze us. He says we are hard-pressed between life and death, between peace and conflict. Well, Paul is saying that when life presses hard, it is, it is maturity that helps us to press back. When people say it's the end of the world, the sky is falling, it's maturity that says, no, we've been here before, and our God is still on the throne. This is not going to be the end of the world. Now, I'm going to swim upstream for a second and declare that our culture has surrendered, has sold out maturity for passion, maturity for intensity. You know, we, rather than having a measured view, a moderated view of anything, we are supposed to be as extreme as we possibly can be, as intense as we possibly can be, as passionate as we possibly can be. But heaven forbid we surrender ourselves to sober thinking and take a beat and think about things for a moment. Paul says we've got to have maturity. We've got to understand the difference between the right and the right now. We have forgotten the difference between urgency and wisdom. But mature people, people who are mature in their relationship with Christ, they're the ones who are able to press on. Maturity matters for perseverance. And that's because mature believers have the life and the historical perspective to say, you know, we've seen like thing, things like this before. They have the maturity to say, in life and in death, we belong to Christ Jesus. And there is nothing that can separate us from, the, from his love. And it's not over until the Lord says it's over. They thought it was over on Good Friday, but it wasn't because Easter came. And even if this situation kills us, the mature person says the Lord will fold us into the palm of his hand. 
Maturity is the difference maker between panic and perseverance. And so if underdogs do not settle for less, how do we press on for the best? Now, if you'll look at this passage today, Paul identifies several steps, several factors that we need to bring into consideration. First, identify the goal. What is the goal? Well, identify the target. There's an old saying that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Another one that says that the saying is true that if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. What is the goal? He's already identified it. The goal of surpassing worth is the highest priority of our lives must be our relationship with Christ, the upward call of Christ. That's our target. And you say, but I have all these other issues. I have all these other problems, all of these other distractions, all of these other crises. Paul is saying, and I'm telling you now, a relationship with Jesus Christ will equip you to deal with everything else. The upward call of Christ is that relationship that shapes and restores all of my other relationships, our family relationships, our social relationships, our business relationships, our community relationships. Our relationship with Christ shapes our relationships with people, but it even changes our relationships with material things. Your relationship with Christ should change your relationship with money, with politics, with time, with your own body, with your physical and mental health. And most of all, it should change your, your relationship with your own self-awareness, your own significance and purpose in life. The upward call of Christ is the life that God gave you to have and, the, and that the Lord gave his life for you to have. That's the target. But next he says to forget the things do not, that do not lead to the upward call of Christ. Forget. Let go. I feel like anytime I say that, I've got to go into that song from the movie Frozen. But let go. Paul says, move on to the upward call of Christ, God in, in Christ Jesus, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Part of straining toward the goal, part of growing in Christ is learning to tell the difference between the things that move us forward and closer to Christ and the life he wants for us and the things that drag us away from Christ and the life he wants for us. Now, please hear me. This doesn't mean to let go of everything in your past or to let go of your family or to let go of any of those things. It does mean to let go of your ambitions that do not follow the upward call of Christ, to let go of your addictions that mute or distract you from the call of Christ, from your associations that poison you or that turn you from your walk for the upward call of Christ. Anything that holds you back or distracts you from the upward call of Jesus Christ let go. And one of the hardest parts of growing our sanctification is to discern what things are moving us forward and what things are holding us back from the upward call of Christ. Third, Paul says, imitate me. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's saying, you know what? Watch me and learn from other underdogs. Watch them. Let them encourage and inspire you. Keep your eyes on me. I'm following Jesus, and if you can't see him, follow me. I've got my eyes on him. You keep your eyes on me. We'll get there together. 
This is not Paul being arrogant. This is him saying, hey, I want to give you a hand. I'm, we're making a chain from the shore. And you hold my hand as I hold Jesus' hand. So let me ask you this. From, who, from whom can you learn? Who inspires you? Now, there's an old principle in kayaking that if you feel like, if you're scared of going through a certain part of the, of the rapids that looks too dangerous, that looks too tough, that can be avoided, don't look at it. Because your eyes actually, the boat actually follows your eyes. There's enough of a, shuttle, a subtle weight shift. When, you, when you're looking at a particular part or, of the rapid or the river, if you are looking at that, your eyes, your boat will follow your eyes. So watch who you watch. Watch out for whom you watch. He says, it, and, and with that in mind, he, he gives us a warning. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He says, don't watch those people. Don't imitate those people. Who? Don't imitate people and don't watch people or don't follow people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. It is amazing to me how many people are openly hostile these days to the gospel message, to the figure of Jesus Christ, to religion in general. But he says, do not follow those who are hostile to the gospel, who mock or denigrate or belittle the name of Jesus or take his name or his honor in vain. Don't follow people who misrepresent Jesus or his people. He says also, don't follow people whose minds are set on earthly things, who put more stock in my will be done than thy will be done, who pay more, who pay more attention to the creation than the creator. Don't follow those people who are pursuing the same ambitions, associations, and addictions that you are trying to forget. He says also, don't follow those who glory in their shame. Again, whole other sermon here. But I want you to think about the new politically correct orthodoxy. The things that they are now claiming as brave. As brave. The ways that victimhood and rage are glorified. Looting is now virtuous. Violence is justified. Retribution has enslaved justice. Human relationships are perverted and the human body, the very image of God, male and female, is mutilated while the broken soul is abused. Anger is exploited. Burning cities have become burnt offerings to the gods of chaos. And it's all exploited for the sake of of power. He says their God is their be belly. They're never satisfied. They just can't get enough. And so they keep pushing and consuming and canceling in an endless cannibalism of culture. Their end is destruction. They're going to end up dead. Don't follow those people. Don't follow the flow of the lost. Don't play by their rules. If you want to find the Lord's highest and the Lord's best for you, follow the people who are following Christ. Fourth, he says, remember your true identity. He says, remember, our citizenship is in heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. And then finally, trust in his 
transformation. One of the most powerful statements of this passage, we can't do this on our own. This is not just a matter of will. This is a matter of God's transforming grace. But remember, we are not on our own. He has made us his own, and so Paul says, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. If you think that this is a tall order, that this list of things that Paul has, li- has made is too much for you, remember, you are not doing this on your own. Paul has said that we struggle, that we wrestle, that we strive for our salvation, but it is God who is at work in us to will and to do. So remember this today. Underdogs don't settle for less. They press on for the best. What is God's highest and best for your life? To press on for the best means to press on for the upward call of Christ Jesus. That relationship that brings the unique you together with God's kingdom purposes for his highest and best glory. And that's why Jesus is calling you to your highest and best. As a church, he's calling us to our highest and best. It's because he loves you and he knows you better than anyone. He has the power to make a difference in your life now and forever. He has a plan for your life. He has a position for you on his team. And he has a place for you at his table. You know what? We are all underdogs. But we have been invited to sit at the table of the king. And this is a king who even though he is a king, a king who for our sakes gave up everything to be an underdog, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, even to the point of death, even death on the cross, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But because he did, the Last Supper became a victory banquet. Jesus took the cup and he took the bread and he laid out his battle plan. On the cross, he fought the battle. And even though it looked like he had lost on Easter Sunday, God raised him up glorious and victorious. Underdogs are willing to get into a fight undermanned, outgunned, overpowered because of Philippians 2.11. Because we come to this table to remember that every day, even though Jesus Christ died on a cross, because of that, God has highly exalted him and raised him up and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Underdogs understand this, and we know that we must press on, and we may press on because Christ Jesus pressed on for us.